We never bow, we never bend, we never break when confronted with crisis. No, we endure, we overcome, and we always, always, always move forward. We are America, second to none, and we own the finish Dude, my eyes are getting so bad. Welcome back to the Caught in the Current podcast. My name's Thomas. Arg. I'm a pirate. That's Sean. <laughs> We're joined today by a special guest. He's been in my life since I can remember. He's served so. this great country. He's done so much for me. He's taught me everything I've learned. Ladies and gentlemen, the puppy Rooney. <laughs> He's right here. Thank you to the puppy. God. We have a special guest. He has takes on everything. The first one, how do we cause a coup d'etat no. for the state? See, he, uh, he's already started, hasn't he? He just. <sighs> this is PB, also known as my father. God. It's, it's John, right? Dog. Yes. Do you, you don't you don't hear John anymore? Or? Not not a lot. Oh. Um, the uh, you know from friends and things like that, but yeah. around home it's. Uh, Hey, hey you. you, you know, and then I do get called Papa, and oh, that's that's, that is something that maybe we'll talk about. It's a, kind of a cultural thing, you know. Even is my it? even my thirty four year old uh, son, who's a Marine, gunnery sergeant, uh, says Papa. Call him Gunny, <laughs> Gunny. Gunny. That's sure. right. And we're guns and colonels, so it's Gunny oh. and two colonels. But and anyway, yeah, welcome to the pod. PB. Yep. PB is also stands for Papa Breezy. That's <laughs> yeah. a street name. And then also the puppy. This is our 4th of July special with our, uh, we're all in full regalia <laughs> to, ta- to talk about this great country and what it means to me. <laughs> you know, and first of all, yeah. happy Independence Day. Yeah. Hey. It is the 4th of happy July. Happy birthday, America. Oh, that's right. Only Americans, not everybody. In America. Damn, well, in America. That's pretty much yeah. everybody. <laughs> and so... And that brings on a, you know, for for a lot of us, and especially what you guys are wearing right now for folks in the military, and I and I hope put everybody in the USA that it's a celebration, it's it's a holiday, and yeah. so we do get the day off from work. That's true. That's <laughs> true. If nothing else, but that and that's kind of the 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 point is that it's it's a day of of recognition and and um, kind of remembering why we're here and. And the great things about of about America, and sometimes you kind of lose that. Oh yeah. And uh, and it's another day off, like you said. Or well, it's another. Also, it's a day where we just scare the shit out of little animals <laughs> oh. with fireworks. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. There are there are going to be some. Uh, that's one thing that's probably the uh, consistent around the U.S. is the idea that it's a day of fireworks. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget the other part. Oh, it's a day off and fireworks. Yeah. So, not anyway. all the way. Yeah. What do these hats mean, by the way? Okay. What's going on? Also, just to preface, he's been in the military. We'll get into it oh. later, but he's been into the military a long time. That's why he's so damn patriotic. That's where we the, got these cool hats. Yeah. Oh, regalia. Uh, I, I think it's, imp- and first of all, thank you for letting me be your second guest <laughs> yeah. on your podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, of know, course. It's a historic and, and incredible moment and opportunity for me. Um, 
I don't know about hey, Rooney. Welcome, yeah. but, <laughs> but one of the things that I, I think that's that's important is what you were just trying to do is introduce me, but it's a matter of perspective and what you're wearing right now. And I am, if you just kind of, if you dumbed it down, uh, old guy that retired from the Army, right? Yeah. But at least when you... Bullet sponge. When, when you think about the comments or where, where, what I'm going to talk about or how, how I say things, it's important to not only for me, but for everybody to know, at, at least know their perspective. Yeah, where you're so coming you listen, from. Right? Yeah. And so what you guys are wearing are the, the class A um, officers, field grade officers hat. Now that's the old one. We, the army got rid of that uniform, actually, oh. the old OD green uh, uniform. Uh, they went to black? This one is, it's an actually blue. Oh. And um, it's a dark blue. It's a field grade uh, class A or back when I was in a, um, a dress blues hat. But now that is the primary hat for army officers Dang. And, and all soldiers. It's that the blue uniform. Like a Soviet. Yeah. Officer. Well, it's the top, it's a peak hat. So uh -huh. yeah. Anyway, these so, are yeah. the one, you wear these to like uh, the formal formal occasions. Fancy dinners. That went back in when I, I now I came into the army. Uh, yeah, in let's 1981. Get a, a timeline. Going. Okay, I I came into the army in 1981 as an enlisted soldier as a bullet sponge. Yes, <laughs> 11 Bravo infantryman. Um, and then when nothing wrong with starting at the bottom. <laughs> Whoa. And then I uh, went to school and became an officer. And uh, and what you see the color around that hat you'll see is a um, is orange. Yeah. And it's a signal officer. So all the branches of the army have different colors. Oh. Um, artillery is red, cavalry is yellow, infantry is baby blue. So everyone has their own color. It's like the gay pride flag. It's hey, one hey, for hey, everybody. Hey, hey, now. It's one for everybody. <laughs> Let, I, I really didn't want to go that way. Yeah. Uh, June's that over, discussion. dude. Yeah, June's over. That was last <laughs> month. Everybody's symbols. Yeah. Reverted back to their original. Lockheed Martin's not sporting the rainbow yeah, color. Did you see that? Did Sean show you that picture? I, I did see the picture. That was um, <laughs> I got a good I giggle. Have, I have no Thank God idea. the yeah, d diversity I, amongst yeah. <laughs> yeah. The good guys, but, Lockheed Martin. Yeah, the good guys, the one but, the everyday man. Yeah. That's cool. I've never seen a hat like this. Yep. So those and those are the uh the the, the formal uh dress oh. hats when you're in full regalia. And then I gave you a couple or you have a couple other hats. These are more in line with what was the camouflage pattern of our uniforms, and you get, those are boonie hats. Now, this isn't no forest camo, right? No, that is a tricolor desert. Um, this is nice. Yeah, those are, that's actually a really good uh, uh, camouflage pattern. And in fact, um, in yeah. Afghanistan, um, we were, we had the, the newer OCP and we had the, uh, the ACU, the, camouflage pattern and the special ops guys always came back to that tricolor ah, you know and, and it's like they always just they have a it. choice of everything uh, yeah <laughs> if you ever they, watch them the msf lads so yeah but that's so the, those were our utility day-to-day -day uniforms and that's what we use there so anyway huh. that's pretty cool military military, military. yeah Did, what are here's something i didn't know What's your favorite war movie? Your favorite war movies? <laughs> your favorite war movies? Yeah. Like when bad. I was 
Mm. When I was uh, um, growing up, anything with John Wayne, mm. I don't uh, know why. And that's that's probably one of the big not a awesome. influencer, but it's one of those things that <laughs> the original influencer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially for young men, yeah. you know, during you know cowboys and and then and being in the military. But um, so if I were to think back then, you know, it'd be probably a handful of like John Wayne kind of movies or Jimmy Stewart movies. I liked it. Never heard of that. Jimmy Stewart. See old (laughs) guy that used to be in the military, Uh but he's an actor. You, you never, um, uh, the, the Christmas movie. Uh, Oh, that's the guy, the air force guy. Well, yeah, he was a air force brigadier in the, um, what a beautiful life or something. I don't know. What's it called? Uh, what? Really? The old like Christmas special, like Christmassy it's movie. It's black life. and white. It's, it's a wonderful, a wonderful life. life. Yeah. No, okay. Where he like anyway. die? He like at the end it goes black and white, and it's like <laughs> what it's like for him if he what didn't live if he wasn't alive. We're gonna you're gonna have to watch that one as a Christmas movie this you're next crazy. Christmas season. Uh, I was just talking to my grandpa this morning about uh, John Wayne actually. Really? Uh, yeah, he was watching the the Horse Soldiers. Oh yeah. And he was like, you gotta watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I put it on my list. Yeah. I, if, if it's hard to get on that list, huh? Yeah, I guess. I think the the war movie, and see, with all of that, and some of the new ones that have come out, the new ones they're 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 interesting, um, they're compelling in that it's something that's happened lately, um, or more recently. But when I saw uh, Saving Private Ryan, that was probably um, one of the the most intense experiences. Um, I remember um, afterwards um, reading and then um, hearing about World War II vets because this was put out in like the 90s, early 90s, and we still had vets, uh, veterans that in the served and all around, right? Yeah, living. Right, that were that were actually there, and there were people that had tears. Oh yeah. In in their eyes, you know, and and back then, you know, these are these are 70, 70, 80 year old men and they said the just the reality of when when they came onto the beach and um and then the story that that happened afterwards, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um the the intensity if if you want something that was very realistic, if you remember when they came and got onto the beach and the 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 deck came down on the Bailey and they're starting to come out and you hear this and, and splash. And in a theater, it's all around you. And I will tell you from first hand experience, that is what it sounds like. Bang. You know, you always hear on TV, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. You hear gunfire and things Mm -hmm. like that. When it's coming out there, the first thing is that, that whip of the bullets and the rounds coming around you thudding around you and then you'll then you'll hear those things it's the same thing when with uh artillery or mortar or something like that or you know you you hear the yeah of the and and the concussion and of the explosion can you hear a mortar go off if it's going to to get you can you hear it thump before it lands only if if you're like direct yeah you'd have to be able to to kind of see it but there are and then the 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 whole idea of whistling there there is a whistle certain rounds as they come down yeah you don't have enough time to get out of the Um, way if it's whistling though sometimes you do 
and, and long, you know, long artillery. You can hear it when it is going to come over you and and things like that. Now, I haven't, I don't have a lot of experience with that, but more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but those are, yeah. And I think if you if you talked with you know the veterans that have been in direct combat like that, they they'd give you a little bit more of an experience. But I, anyway, going back to say. Saving Private Ryan, and then and then remembering those kind of experiences, and then what they had to do, and remembering their sacrifice, and just it's almost like when you see um, old Napoleonic Wars or even the Civil War. How do you get 150 guys stand up shoulder to shoulder with muskets and start walking towards somebody, yeah. knowing that the other guys are shooting at you the same way and with cannons? That yeah. is just, you know, you talk yeah. about, you know, intestinal fortitude. <laughs> I mean. Well, here's a couple of things I know about it from leading a couple of men. <laughs> oh. First off, you, you have go. to wear a special hat. <laughs> Not hats for everybody. Only the only oh, the full cool regalia guys. officers wear this kind of stuff. And oh. that, that about does it right there. That, Whoever has the big hat. <laughs> you know, that isn't too far from the truth when you look at... Uh, um, even back in you know in, in the history of war, you always were trying to look for the commanders, the cool right, hats, and take yeah. them out. So people that kind of stood out today, in like if you go back on a modern um, battlefield, uh, command vehicles. So if if you have a a vehicle with five or six antennas popping out of it, and then all the other ones have one or two. You know who, who you, to go who, for. Who do you think is <laughs> yeah. the most yeah. important guy? Not most important, but who's who's um, controlling the nuclear kind of yeah. you know in calling the shots. Right. So it's in the, um, in the Civil War. I read about this that they there was like in engage when you were fighting and like the officers would always stand in the back line with on horses to let everybody know and like their full regalia to let everybody know that they were officers. And there was like an unspoken rule of like chivalry that you don't attack. The officer always lives. That, I uh, think I, I, and not to contradict that. Uh -oh. but, however, uh -oh. no, tell me um, wrong. During, it's. I think you have to go a little bit Story back in time and think about the the um, the Revolutionary War and the War of. First that was what it was. That was it was during right. that war. There was a gentlemanly thing um, to to make sure that the officers, and you did not um, target the other officers. Oh. The the movie. Um, there's another war movie. Um, Back in that time, oh my goodness! See if you guys would have told me, I, I would have remembered that. And remember, <laughs> Shit, why didn't you old, tell him? You got your hat on. You don't guy, know. old guy, old yeah. guy uh, that served in the military. That's who you're, who you're um, talking with. So, but there is a movie with, um, God, now I can't even. Mel Gibson. That's not Brave. Oh, Patriot. Right? The Patriot. The Patriot. Yeah. The yeah, Patriot. Yeah. And so, and if you remember during that movie, they, they were talking about that and. You know, who is, you know, if you didn't have officers, war would turn into this barbaric, you know, uh, and you're going, mm. and he's, he came back and said, I don't care. You know, we're going to continue to, to, uh, well, to the, target officers. The thing I read was that it was during the Revolutionary War that there was like that agreement. And then the Americans would, they like partnered with like local tribes and the tribesmen in, would like hide in the forests. And then they'd tell you exactly like, if he's got a big hat like this, you kill right. him. And right. they'd go and they'd they'd right. like assassinate the, them so the, that they'd all right. fall During apart. During the uh, the the Revolutionary War, um, 
is the first one of the first times where you would see the uh, hit and run tactics back mm-hmm. then they they called that and it was um, a group of individuals called uh, Rogers Rangers and it's kind of where the modern-day Army Rangers and the Ranger Regiment uh, gets its history from and it was a hit and run guerrilla warfare Dang. you hit if you're gonna see a column and there's like ten of you there's a hundred of them you make sure you take out the leadership yeah. you know, or, or you take out and you so it it uh, disrupts them you know what can you do uh, in a certain amount of time that will do the most damage and, and disruption disruption so anyway anyways so where where of, were you where were we before the, yeah off the movies uh, no more movies. We, we got we're a lot no 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 we got a lot to talk about we're not talking about movies here <laughs> it's for i mean one of the questions i know oh, but i had a fun fact about the civil war people used i to love like, facts people about used war. to sit and uh like picnic and watch it they and then they would end up obviously getting you know wrecked from what um one of the the things we do a lot of um in the military um a lot of uh uh, reading history in our in our uh, military education system, yeah. Um, especially in in the officer corps and the senior NCOs, because you learn from from those. And it was actually the the first uh, battle of Antietam, which is one of the first battles, yeah. and it's just south of of DC. Yeah. And you can go go and see that. And if you watch the movie Gettysburg, which is probably right up there, so I'm of one of my favorite movies. Um, and yeah, they came out there thinking this is it. Yeah. It's going to be one battle. I'm going to run over them, and they were picnicking, and it didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah. They didn't realize what Oops. what they were um, what they were faced. Yeah. Damn sons of bitches! Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway, that was my one. That's movies. all I had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> picnicking. Yeah, and watching the war. Ooh. Let's let's start talking about. Let's get to the nitty gritty of mm-hmm. it. What's or your I guess the beginning, huh? What's your favorite war movie? War movie? Yeah. I don't know about favorite, but every time I watch Thirteen Hours, that makes yeah. me want to sign up right there. That, one is that makes me want to. That and uh, Black Hawk Down. I've but, actually never seen Black Hawk which, Down. Which yeah, we've talked. I know about, I should yeah, watch it. And I know the story, but I've never you know actually story? watched it. Anyway, we can, we'll get. I was actually it. there. Dang. Really? That time. Yeah. So, but I don't know if you want to talk about that now. Well, let's. It'll be chronological first. So first, getting into the military. Yeah. Seventy years ago. Yeah. Eighty. No, not not quite. Eighty years ago. Yeah. Fifty. I think. Years ago. <laughs> it is, and and um, I, I think back and look at that. If you guys can can think right now, what are those two or three events, or what are those events that that were the most significant for you? Yeah. Now you guys are pretty young, but there's been one or two. Yeah. There's been events that you've had, right? That, I hope that so. are pretty significant. As you get older, you'll see them, and they'll be even more definitive. The, I mean, they'll they'll stick uh, out. You know, this was a crossroad. This action made me do this. This made yeah. me do that. So, um, for the military, uh, for me, if if you were to have asked my my mother, my siblings, my father. Um, they would have said we knew he was going into the ar- army when he was four, you Dang. know that type of thing. So, um, but there was something um, that actually happened right around um, the Fourth of July. Uh, small town, Minnesota, um, you know, small communities. During something like a Fourth of July celebration, I got an opportunity to fly in a helicopter. Whoa. 
you know, and for a 10 year old, or, you know, from a small town, this is 1974, 75, Bang. just before <laughs> the bicentennial. Yeah. So that it's, it's a while ago. Um, you know, 50 years yeah. and to, to go up into, uh, and, and to be in a helicopter. That right there was the defining moment, moment for me, along with, you know, my kind of my thought and ideas as a, as a, as an infant and young child <laughs> yeah. uh, to yes. kind of go that way. Young people. But know. that right there was saying, I love this. I want to do this. That's I want to fly. And it's, think about something that you just, you did for the first time and said, Oh my God, that is so great! And you, and now you keep doing it. Watch anime. Oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> see if that's a life-changing <laughs> event, then then there you go. Oh. So that was, I think, that was the thing for me. And for the next six, seven years, that's what I was focused on. I was going to be a pilot. Yeah. That that's all that I, I was going to do. And so as I was going through school, um, you know, I had different jobs and things like that. I had a Time Life series of uh, books uh, called The History of Aviation. I still have them. And that's from 1974, 75, 76. Um, I had, um, I did model airplanes. Oh, like painted like them and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, put them yeah. together a little. And uh, so I had a number of different aircraft. So I knew, um, like, for example, they had the, the aircraft of World War II. Yeah. I could tell you you know the what the Germans had, what the what the Americans had, what the British have. I can kind of remember them now, but um, but back then, you know, that was that was so important. So that that was what kind of got me into that that path. And so when I look back, I'm going, you know, that's it. And so that's what I pursued. Now with anybody's, you know, path, their their future, their careers. All sorts of things happen in between, and you're going. Well, you're not a pilot yeah, now. <laughs> These don't look like pilots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But all officers wear that. Uh. But so mine, mine deviated and, and changed. Uh, but um, because I did, what I did is I actually applied for um, the U.S. Air Force Academy when um. I was um, a junior, I think sophomore, junior in high school. And back then, you put your application together, and no one in my school, you know, none of the teachers, we didn't have really a, we had one guidance counselor. Uh. My, my graduating class was 52, so. Oh, but, <laughs> so small That's town. That's crazy. Yeah, small town. Um, but they, no one knew how to, how to, how do you do this? How do you go through the application process? Yeah. And there, you didn't get on a computer and go into, onto the internet and find all the electronic forms in the process. Yeah. You, what you did oh, yeah. is you wrote letters Bang. to Snail different mail. people. And that's how, and it took almost a year just to find out how to do it. That's crazy. Yeah, so I did that, um, went through the process. Um, I got a recommendation. You had to have recommendations. And one of them was from a, uh, you have to have a recommendation and from a congressperson. Either your state, your House of Representatives, rep, or a senator, yeah. and so and so they endorse it. And so I got one. Uh, his name was uh, Senator Rudy Boschwitz. I don't know if he was a senator, if he was our 
Oh. Also representatives. Anyway, shout sorry. out Rudy. <laughs> shout out Rudy. But anyway, I I did that. Put the application in the Air Force. The very first part, they vet it. Okay, now we've you you've passed the first gate. Then you have to go through um, the second gate, which is uh, interview and um, a physical. It is then when I found out that you have to have 20/20 uncorrected vision uh. to be a pilot in the United States Air Force. I was devastated. Dang. So, and it was one of those things going, wait a minute. I see pilots wearing glasses all the time. <laughs> Not when they first start out. You yeah. Know? So that, that right there changed. And I thought my life was over. I found out later, though, that I could become a pilot and actually fly a helicopter in the Army. And you could have 2050 vision correctable to 2020. The reason for that is in a helicopter, you usually aren't pulling six G's on a yeah. on, on a 180 turn. <laughs> now you can still pull some G's in a helicopter, but you know that's usually not not the case. Yeah. So that's when I found out I could do that, and so I, the bad part, or not the bad part, a, a different part of that, the recruiter and the person that I talked to had Army wings, mm-hmm. but they were cho- cre- crew chief wings. So he was enlisted, and a crew chief with any aircraft, they're, they're like in charge of that, that aircraft, gotcha. whether it be a helicopter or an airplane or something like that. Are they that. flying it, or are they no. They're just in charge? Right. They're in charge. They're the, they make sure that it's, it's ready. Gotcha. Okay. They, they're not necessarily mechanics, yeah. but, but when you think of like, like a big cargo aircraft or even a fighter or a helicopter, there's lots of things that have to happen, yeah. you know, and making sure that everything's organized, the crew is ready. Um, and that aircraft is ready mm-hmm. and it's, and it's ultimately the pilot's responsibility. Yeah. Um, but the crew chief is the one that does most of the work. Yeah. Let's be honest. The pilot flies, the, the crew chiefs are, does are all pretty, the hard work. Yeah. It does, <laughs> does most of the, most of that work, making sure that that thing flies. Um, so anyway, that's what he was. And so he convinced me and he had already recruited a number of, of guys from, uh, my school and my class to go into the army, and I was going, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll, that's that's a way. He didn't tell me, and it's he didn't tell me that you can't just enlist as a private and go fly helicopters. Yeah. I knew that you have to be a warrant officer or yeah. a commissioned officer, but he said a way to do that is to enlist, be become um, an enlisted soldier first and then apply for warrant officer school and then go and be a helicopter pilot. And, and, I, and as I was looking at this, because at the time, college wasn't necessarily something that I could pay for, hence yeah. the Air Force Academy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were not wealthy folks, and I didn't, I didn't know that Biden was going to uh, – <laughs> forgive every loan that I had. So, yeah. you know, I didn't have Should that. Have kept that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there, there's lots of benefits with the military and, and something that you found out early that there was schooling. I mean, there's something called the GI Bill. Yeah. You know, and so you can get education. You can get student loan forgiveness, those kind of things by serving your country. But other people just want it free. But anyway, yeah. so... So that's how I found out. So I said, okay, that's a path. I'll, I'll try that. So I enlisted when I was 17. I actually had to have 
um, you had to get like grandma and grandpa's waiver, right? uh, um, signature to said, okay, yeah, he can uh, do that. Permission slip. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from, um, yeah. Permission slip. So I, I enlisted when I was 17. Um, and that's the 11 Bravo, uh, you infantry. chose that. I, ch- and you stayed that, there that was the unit that I was going into. And, uh, so that's where, uh, that's the path that I took. Nice. So I went in, um, and I actually flew from home. I missed my, my graduation because I was flying that day to yeah. basic training. And so, so I went and went to, uh, Fort Benning, school for boys to become an infantryman <laughs> boy <laughs> but and then when i came out um when i came back home i really i didn't have a job i didn't have th- those kind of things oh and this was the the u.s army reserve because oh, so you're kind gotcha. of thinking well wait a minute yeah i was I, like that that's what? an important that is an important fact um that this was for the army reserve yeah and so and back then combat arms units were in the reserve nowadays all the combat arms units are in national guard they're yeah. active duty or national guard but back then they were actually in the uh there were units in the reserve so that's that's how i got that way and so when i came back i started going i was going i got to do something so i went to a community college yeah which was in the same town that my unit was in because you had a unit just like the National Guard and Reserve. It's like local. It's not right. That's local. And so you could get on to different training and, and things like that. I believe you have a friend that kind of does yes. that, has yeah. done that. And you oh, he have. does something. <laughs> so is. anyway, but that's a good thing. I mean, you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, it, it gives that individual a lot of different opportunities for additional training mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And it helps the unit out. So it's, it's, a, it's a win-win. So anyway, I went to... F- uh, community college. I wasn't supposed to say that. I was going to keep that. Uh, we can bleep under it caps. out. <laughs> yeah. But and then I found out about a school in Grand Forks, North Dakota, that gave that would give you an aviation scholarship, not for the Air Force, but for the Army. Oh. How, today you'd go. Well, you said you wanted to be a pilot, and it was the military. How in the hell did you not know? That, you know, there was a school, you know, 120 miles from you that had that. Yeah. There's no internet back then. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a phone to pick it up and make me look like a genius. It's too easy for us these days. <laughs> it <Yeah>. is. <laughs> no. But it's one of those things you have to know. Mm-hmm. or you have, And you have to know how to ask the right questions. You have to know the right people. So that's how, how and, and then I found that out. And um, that's how I got into to get an ROTC scholarship, oh. an aviation RO- army scholarship. Gotcha. So I went to school to become a pilot at the University of North Dakota. Yeah. And to become an, an army lieutenant. So that's how, now go back to when I was 10 years old. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Go up there. Everything's uh, being a pilot and then being told you're not going to be a pilot. And then, okay, well, here's another path. You can do it, but you're going to go through the Army Reserve, be an infantryman, go and apply for warrant officer. Well, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And then stumble upon this. What? Wait, you? the Army gives scholarships, ROTC scholarships, to be a pilot? So when, when you talk about what got you to become an, 
an army officer. Yeah. That is a very just hoops to jump. Yeah. Through. There, there was some. My path was not straight. That's all right. And so, but it was something that I, I'd never, you know, I wouldn't change at all well, because good. it's there at, at UND. Of course, I met Mama Breezy. Ah, so, MB. <laughs> <laughs> so and, but anyway, to go there and that's and I learned. Um, that's where I got my uh, private pilot's license, my commercial Dang. pilot's license, instrument rating uh, in fixed-wing aircraft. And then uh, fate threw another Instead rock of... right, in my, right in my path. Uh-oh. At the time, I, I told you that the Army, uh, you could become an Army uh, pilot, an Army aviator with 2050 vision uncorrected. They changed that oh, before I was commissioned. 2020 uncorrected. It's no luck. So there were three or four of us out there that said, okay, you guys, we're not transitioning you. Because in our school at UND, they, we actually started, you flew helicopters. Oh. We had helicopters and, and, uh, and uh, jets. They actually got um, airline transport license. So you, you got the whole gambit. Thanks. So I, so that was taken off the table, and I had all I could do was finish my fixed wing um, certifications and, and licensing. Shoot. And so yeah, and at that point again, you know, it's like you you think back, geez, you're not going to be a pilot, <laughs> and going, what the hell are you doing? Uh, yeah, Got yeah. commissioned, and and then uh, and of all the branches to pick, Signal Corps wasn't even on there. Communications. Oh, yeah? The first one was obviously infantry because cool guys enlisted. Oh. I was enlisted infantry. You know that's that that should be a no brainer. Nope, I got because you don't get to choose your uh, branch. Yeah, no. right. You do not in ROTC and in um, at the military academy. The the way it worked then, and I'm, I think it works now, is it is by a merit system. Oh, so okay. you take the um, around the 1,000, 1,100 um, West Point graduates, and it is needs of the Army. Yeah. So every branch, some of the branches are very, very big, like combat arms, um, like infantry, artillery. Yeah. You know, those are those are pretty big branches. And then you have support branches, communications, transportation. You have um, the you know some military intelligence. You have so there's all sorts of branches. And it just depends on what the army needs, and so, in the um, at West Point, you have a merit standpoint. You actually have a number one to number one thousand, whatever that number is. And if you remember in the in Gettysburg, uh, the movie Gettysburg, I think it was uh, one of the the Southern generals said, you know, he graduated dead last in his <laughs> class, and was that Pickett? I think I think it was uh, General Pickett. And uh, and in the movie, it was kind of funny. And in the book, uh, I, I read um, it just said, "Yeah, the Yanks got all the smart ones. Look uh, what they're doing now." So, and I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, so <laughs> the West Point does that. Then in ROTC, um, they take an equal number uh, because on uh, I think there were like six or seven thousand um, ROTC graduates that got commissioned that received. Mm -hmm. um, scholarships and then you get branched a thousand of the um, ROTC scholarship cadets that are going to get commissioned get regular army commissions 
just like the West Point. The other ones are reserve commissions, oh. and and that that became a a diff. It becomes a difference later on in your career. So, um, but it's all merit based. So now you've got this pool of six, seven thousand ROTC. So it's like a national people. right national now. Pool. You're in a pool oh, still dang. based on the the needs of the army. Yeah, yeah. And so now you're put in this this pool. So and one of the first things they do is from what I understood is they pick out the the top 1000 the regular army yeah from the ROTC so now you've taken the 6 7000 and you said okay you you are regular army your mother and I both were picked so we were in the top whatever and got regular army commissions but Congrats. from there but from there now you're put in the pool and you do have a a, a wish list so you put down, here are my top 10 branches that I would like to, uh, to serve in. And you didn't even get... And I didn't get a number. <laughs> my I Infantry, I had uh, military intelligence because I had a dual um, uh, major. Um, when I found out I couldn't become a pilot, I became a geography major as well, which oh. I really like. But, and the concentration was in remote sensing, which is mapping... Yeah. and imagery yeah. with satellites and aircraft and things like that Dang. mapping and i and something that you know i had a passion for as well and that was that was that sort of technology was just popping off during that time then too, right, right? They, they, when when you think about like satellites and, and Im imagery like infrared and the different things that you're looking at yeah and how you read that yeah uh, and it and it was primarily for what we were looking at at school was for mapping you know especially i went to at um, University of North Dakota, and the one of the main prof professors there that was um, in charge of that program, he got a lot of grants, federal and state grants, to do things for the farming, you know, soil, um, you know, stuff. yeah, things like yeah. that, soil, water, um, vegetation, you know, along with you know, topographical things. So, so a lot of application there. That's how he got that money. Yeah. But there's, there's when you go into military intelligence, there's obviously a different kind of uh, um, field than what you're looking for. Some of the same things, yeah. you know, you're still looking for those those uh, same things, but not farming. It, it, the application is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So anyway, that was the, the oh, horticulture. <laughs> but so anyway, that's that's the I, I requested military intelligence as well. But um, no, luck. but anyway, Signal Corps and uh, so what's that like? Uh, like communications, radi radios and stuff. Right. Nice. When you think back then, now think about this. We like got telegrams. commission. <laughs> you're not far away. When you think back to we graduated in 1986, got commissioned, and all during this time, there's another story that's happening. I'm, I'm talking about my career, mm -hmm. right? There's another story. I met my my wife, Linda, in ROTC at the University of North Dakota, and we're going through the same types of things. She didn't want to be a pilot, uh -huh. um, but she went through another path, and um, she also wanted to be... Uh, uh, in military intelligence, and but I think Signal Corps was on her list. Oh. We both got, there were three of us that got the regular Army commissions, and then they branched us, and for whatever reason, we were both branched Signal Corps. Oh. Then I said, okay, we might as well get married. 
<laughs> yeah, the DoD was playing matchmaker or something. So that's so th- that that's something that's parallel that's going on. That's but now in the my career, you go to career mode, and then you go. But I was I was not happy. Uh, I was not a happy camper. Did it I, uh, did it turn around? If you if you found out you couldn't pilot anything, yep. towards the start, and you were in I presume a while. Did it ever turn around? Were you like, ah, oh, this is this was mu- this was very much worth it? Absolutely. Again, you look back in those defining moments. You know, uh, what made what was my decision to get into the military? Finding an ROT, you know, finding a school and learning how to fly. So I still, I I still feel very very fortunate to have been able to learn how to fly to become a pilot. Yeah, not a you lot know? of people so, get to yeah exactly. Get to sit there and fly um, it, it had been really neat to be able to do that professionally. But, um, and then after this happened and, um, Linda would tell you the same thing. My first year of the being active duty was probably whining and complaining to her. And I actually wrote, still do. Oh. I actually wrote a letter to my brigade commander for a transfer, a branch transfer and from the army to the air force. Oh, that did not go over well. No, because that's like your, that's your <laughs> yeah, boss, right? Yeah, that is that's a boss a three or four <laughs> levels up. Ooh. So and but as I as we were going through that um, career wise, about right before Desert Shield Desert Storm, yeah, we they started picking the, all the units were getting ready to go and. Um, but we were going through a new equipment fielding with a new uh, family and series of communications equipment. In the old days, it's still radios because they're tactical. So we go out in, in these um, you know, tactical vehicles. They have shelters. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and you, you put all the radios and communications equipment in them, satellites, radios, what we call voice switching, um, very little data. And uh, I will tell you, when back in the day, we had data rates between um, sites that were at 256 kilobits. It's uh, not a lot. Kilobits. You couldn't do, you, you know, I don't think you even <laughs> understand how small that is. It is, it, they are, you know, oh. and our big one was up to um, one meg, ah. uh, a mega, megabyte. That's not even... No, my cell phone, and that is, and everything was brought down to, for example, like a, a phone would take um, thirty-two kilobits. Dang. Okay, so if you had two hundred, you know, it's like, well, h- how many? Yeah. So everything was based on that. Shoot. What and year was that? Data, nineteen eighty-six. We had equipment that was called, uh, at the time, TriTac, <laughs> but anyway, and then so we went to something <laughs> even new, something new uh, called MSE. And, of course, in the military, lots of acronyms, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had, in the Army, we did something that went a little bit more digital, mm. and it was um, called mobile subscriber equipment. When we went through this that fielding, um, I got to go to two, two different um, eight-week courses on the equipment, on how to, how to plan uh, the networks, how to manage the networks, how to install the networks. Um, from and we got down into the nitty gritty of learning everything. Dang. So you basically became 
like a communications engineer to yeah. how to plan, install, and, and maintain those networks. And it was there that, and a, there was only a handful of us um, that got to go to all this training. And then we came back to our battalion and we set up the the next levels of training and went uh, to the fielding. So you like taught them. Right. And, and not taught them, but we had, you had experts, you had core of, of folks that had had a lot of training in each one of these units, right? Because mm -hmm. every soldier went through their training for their specific van, you know, their specific type of equi equipment. Yeah. If you were a radio, a multi-channel radio operator with the old equipment, then you went through a four-week class to become a multi-channel radio operator with the new. So you just gotcha. learned a new van. Yeah. Okay. But for the people who planned and, and, uh, and managed the network, we went through a little bit more than that. And so then, yeah, you become kind of a subject matter My expert. expert yeah. And so, and, and that's what probably changed. That isn't probably, that is what changed it. Because all of a sudden now you're, you're and thing, and, but things click. It, it makes sense. And, that, and then you start having a passion. And, that, and that's on a technical side of it. During that time as well, after trying to get out of the Army, something that, that you learn, you, you guys, I've, I've seen it, in, and I've seen it with you more because I have more um, experience with you. Yeah. But that's the, the idea of, of being part of a team, oh. right? Um, leadership. Call of Duty stuff. <laughs> yeah. But leadership, the, the idea of, um, you know, being a leader, leading uh, soldiers, yeah. you know, in, in units and, you know, preparing for, for combat, you know, training, everything. And so you have, that was the, that was the most important thing from being, becoming an army officer, you know, that, that development of becoming a leader that is the main thing and then this technical part of becoming a subject subject matter expert where it feeds that and you can you know and that was that time period that i said that's pretty now cool. i'm gonna stay Dang. this is it because this was all this was all pre 9-11 correct yeah how was and you were in post 9-11 correct oh yeah how was that switch internally was it kind of like well man things are going Things kicking off, yeah. Or was it? Was it just like, oh, this is what I, this is what I signed up for. This is oh, what oh, we're yeah, doing. yeah. Because um, when you're when you're in and going back to um, right around 1991, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. When we found out that this was going to happen, this is like, this is this is a huge. Yeah. war this is going to be big yeah and if you would have read or and sometimes you think back um and you see how quick the war was and how quickly the u.s and the coalition forces just decimated yeah an enemy force that employed soviet tactics you you'd go well why were you guys even worried what, what? and even um uh saddam said this will be the mother of all battles and things like that didn't know chemicals you know yeah. he'd used them before we you know he had them didn't know about nuclear you know so he had that array of forces he had the backing of a superpower mm -hmm. you know at, at at the time well they were they had already 
crumbled by then. Yeah. But um, but they had backing, so it was a very conventional war. And when we got to Europe, um, and I think we were going to talk about this the the idea of right when we got there, the Cold War mm-hmm. and the and the wall coming down. Yeah, we talked we, about the wall. On one yeah, because and, and it, because we got to Europe in um, the the summer or the summer the, the winter December. Let's, let's paint a picture here first. Which places have you been deployed to? Okay, our first one was our first um, stationing was in Germany. Okay, 1986. Okay. Okay, so this is a few years before the wall comes down. This is President Reagan mm-hmm. is is there. Um, the buildup of, of U.S. forces in, the, in Germany. Um, there are, I believe, just under or over 100,000, uh, you know, soldiers, military, yeah. U.S. military alone. And um, back then... We were, it was all a deterrent, you know, where this is the Cold War, yeah. you know. But if you looked, if you would look at a, um, like an organizational chart and put the units on a map, you would have seen the, the U.S. and coalition forces outnumbered probably in the number of 15 to 20 to 1. And that's, and some of those are even, could be even higher when it comes to number of tanks versus tanks, number of, Artillery pieces to artillery pieces, aircraft yeah. to aircraft. I mean, we were incredibly outnumbered. But anyway, and where we were located, where, where we were stationed in Frankfurt, Germany, the 5th U.S. Corps held something, and their... their um, this is all declassified, right? <laughs> this is, <all laughs> this is so old, they're in, they're in history books now. Oh, so, man. But something called the Full the Gap. And mm-hmm. so, and that was going to be one of the main... Uh, avenues of, of approach if a if there was a soviet bloc attack Dang. and so we had and and then that's the, where is the part. that and today in, what countries does that and right now back then um all the cold war or all of the soviet bloc countries are there if you remember you know like uh czechoslovakia mm, and poland yeah. and and um and yugoslavia all, all those countries are right along there. And then there was something called East Germany. Okay. So the full This is what the wall separated, yeah? Right. Well, the wall was actually in the city of Berlin. Yeah. Right. So, but Berlin is in East Germany. But as you look down, um, the it's probably uh, from Frankfurt, which is in the central part of, of Germany, and you go directly um, east... There's a, a big German town, West German town, then West German town, Nuremberg, and just about maybe 100 miles was the border, the frontier, as they called it. Dang. And out there, there was a, a little town called uh, Fulda. But there's, a, there's mountains and, um, and hills, but there's plains, that, and there's just a natural plain. Um, you know, I'm talking flatter ground and things like that. That's where the, the Soviet, I can't remember, first tanks army and they had like three armies against the u.s corps but anyway that's i mean the first people's army <laughs> <laughs> but that was back in 1986 and so that's where um when we were and that and then the wall comes down in what 88 89 something like that something like that yeah so and that's um and we had talked the fall of the, the, fall of the uh the soviet union yeah. and we were there for that Damn. so we were and so you say 
pre 9-11 to post 9-11 yeah so we were there during the cold war the yeah. end of the cold war yeah so yeah. now it goes down so but and, and that's that's kind of, it, it is important because it was this huge soviet buildup in the in the reds the reds the communists um and then now that starts going away and now europe starts you know uniting and and and, and things like that so that was that bank. right there was a huge change yeah I, I i would say that that would was equally especially for like where we were in europe and this is very eurocentric because the military obviously has play, people in a lot of places and we haven't even and i don't have the experience to talk about what's happening over in the pacific right so hmm. but our back experiences then or right now back then and right now <laughs> So, well, funny you should say, ask. I am an expert in both. <laughs> well, I know that. He's got the hat to prove. It. Yeah, I do have the, You think they give these to anybody? So, they don't. They don't. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so the, was... but the the idea of how the culture, not the culture, but just the the focus of what the military had in Europe, was a huge change then, and yeah. then especially with the withdrawal of forces, pulling forces back from from um the uh from europe because that threat wasn't there anymore something called the peace dividend right oh. so we the army and the military started shrinking hmm. we no longer had this huge massive military to to contend with yeah you, you know so yeah, yeah, yeah. conventional forces what happened is we started downsizing and we got fewer and fewer people hmm. or fewer and fewer, fewer units we used to have 18 active uh, army divisions. We went down to 10. Dang. Um, we had a, a flotilla in the Navy of like a 600, um, you know, uh, ship Navy, and it, it shrunk. So Air, air Force, you know, a, every branch of the Army shrunk. So when you think about we were at one of the heights of the U.S. arm or the military, yeah. you know, pre-Cold War, pre um, uh Soviet Union um, being dissolved, and then we went through this. Then we're starting this um, this uh, process of getting smaller, downsizing, and and things like that. That is a huge. I mean that that that's big for any organization when you think about it. You know, yeah. this is like twenty, thirty percent of your active duty forces was that transition at all like uh like tech related like there was more stuff coming into it and and tech started you know we can do more with less you know um even even then when you think about uh uh, weapon systems the you you know i I, i'll talk instead of talking about like the radios talk about tanks uh back then they had um in the cold war at the beginning of the Cold War, we had the M60 tank, and mm-hmm. if you know, if you know, there there was no automatic leveling system. Uh, there's no auto, you know, auto uh, tracking systems. The rounds, all those kind of things. The command and control, the radios that you can talk to, having something called situational awareness, where you can sit at a screen and see where your wingman is, your yeah. right and left, and things like that. That all started happening uh, during this time. We start getting the new tank, the M1 Abrams, uh, okay, uh, tank. Now you see a tank that's going, the, the body is going like this, and you see that, that gun 
just yeah. level. I've seen and tracking. them right. put a stein on top of. Uh, I think a it might have been a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A leopard that's a good video. Yeah. So, but that's the the stabilizing and and the lethality and you, and all the technology. But then you go inside and, and you think about like it's like the internet and being able to see things around. Yeah. That started happening too. So um, now you've got. You know, and back in the day, we had on more for infantry. We had the M113, the APC. It just looks like this aluminum box. Yeah. You know, square, and nothing else on it, and you go in and out. Um, and then we got the Bradley fighting vehicle, uh, and that was had this 25 millimeter Bush, you know, like Bushmaster cannon top, yeah. and and machine guns, and it had all the the electronics inside it too. And so, and that all those things started because of during the Cold War, lots of money is being poured into, you know, oh, yeah. if we're, we're going to be outnumbered, you know, 10 to 1 with tanks, our tanks better be really good. Yeah. Um, which is almost opposite of what, when you think about how World War II, I'm, I'm digressing here, World War II, Germany wants newer, newer and better things. So they have fewer of those. What did the U.S. do? Shit, we'll just make a hundred. Yeah. You, you make one of your lep or whatever their tank is, the Tiger tank. You make one. I'll make fifty of these Shermans, and and we'll win. Yeah. At an incredible cost, but yeah. we'll win. So now the the tide is you know we we flip switch the switch, and the Soviets go ahead and make your one <laughs> tank. I got a hundred. You know you're not gonna get them all. Yeah. But as, as then the Soviet Union goes you know, goes away, that what a, like a tank platoon, you know, back then could, could cover an area. I, I don't know this tactically. You'd have to talk to a, a, a real expert, but let's say, you could guess. Yeah. we'll believe you, <laughs> you know, they can cover a, a two or three kilometer area with four tanks. Yeah. Now before, you know, four tanks, you know, they'd have to be like a hundred yards away from each other. Dang. Think about the, the, the movie and, Fury. Uh, Fury. Yeah. yeah those was, guys were side mine. by side, you know, and, and World War Two. That's how, you know, they came yeah. out together. You didn't usually see an American take one uh, one on one with no. five Germans. They came at them with as if if I have 10, I'll use 10. Yeah. You know, if I have three, I'll use three. You know, so it, it was one of those things. But so technology, yeah, it had a big, big impact on being able to do that, you know, and, and even today. It, it's it's being used so technology is a huge thing yeah. and and we saw that and so now trying to get back to so so pre 9-11 to post 9-11 when you're in the military and we're already going through those changes that that is something from uh, an organizational uh, perspective you know we have to do more with less yes use technology you know um, when it comes to the the mission type of thing yeah um, so, but, and then when you come to the, the leadership side with, with families and soldiers and all the things that are happening there, there's, there's a change there as well, you know, with, with, um, with that technology, our, our soldiers are more connected, you know, with families, we need to be more connected with our families. Uh, we found that out, um, all the different deployments, it's kind of like in, in Vietnam, how, Guys would come back from Vietnam after their tours. They came back as individuals. Yeah. You know, ones and twos here's here and there. And that's really hard. We started coming back now as units. We started preparing to go on deployments 
um, with briefings and getting the families together. And things. If you ever watched the movie or, or read the book, We Were Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that one. You're right. And with Mel, again, another That's Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, incredible. Uh, but how those guys went out and then how casualties were reported. Mm-hmm. A taxi driver would come up with a, with a, uh, like a telegram. Yeah. We, back then during Vietnam, we didn't even have a system where you would get notified by someone in the military. Dang. And so spouses said, no, you're not doing that. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. So, but the whole idea of the families being, you know, and, and that's part of the leadership and being part of a community and, and, and understanding that. And so, um, when we, so, so now back to the transition now, yeah. instead of having those big conventional wars, we're looking at smaller regional conflicts, right? Yeah. It's, it's how, it's how it's kind of looked at. And we always, you, you always know there's going to be a hotspot somewhere. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't a matter of if it's going to happen. It's always a matter of when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. And so that's what the army has to, and the armed forces have to be, we're preparing for. And so our big doctrine of this conventional mass, you know, off we go with tanks, you know, yeah. and, 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 uh, and infantry fighting vehicles and, and artillery and, you know, here we go, uh, it, it starts changing. Okay. So that, that's part of that transition. And then the, one of the, the next things, the next deployment that I go on is um, Somalia. Dang. Okay, so completely different than Desert Shield, Desert Storm, right? Yeah. Was it, was it how it is today? Like, Somalia, was Somalia back then how it is today? I don't know. I haven't been back then. Oh. Well, you, you read the news. <laughs> I, I read a little bit, but yeah, from, what I, from, from what I understand, it's probably very similar. Gotcha. Um, it doesn't look like it, it, it has a real good functioning government yeah, but i think but but it's more than what it was so it isn't just the the warlords and just uh, a free-for-all gotcha. as it was prior to um what was called operation restore hope uh-huh. yeah Oper- operation restore hope and initially the the marines were there first mm-hmm. and then it became a u.n mission uh-huh. okay so the u.s while we were there we were never there solely as u.s forces we were there as a u.n oh they like co-opt you guys right and so that's the u.n but then when you look at what um happened in black hawk down yeah that was something even a little bit different that was primarily obviously u.s led and to to do a specific operation yeah so but that kind of conflict now is what the army is is looking at gotcha but yet still being able to fight the conventional war and there were a lot of lot of um opponents of of back then of why do we need tanks you know it's all going to be all we need is you know special forces yeah and uh, and you're going whoa wait a minute there's still other threats that are out there and we will find that out you know when we go back to iraq yeah. so but anyway so the, so somalia was was the next um uh, deployment that I went on, and that was so much different than going and to. I was, I went to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Desert Calm. It was after the actual war. Gotcha. We were there about three months after the war, so I, I wasn't there during 
the desert storm. Uh, we were there for like cleanup and things like that. Yeah. And, and in case something were to happen, like the, is that the, the one they were trying to trying to? I don't know much about that one or anything pre nine eleven, but that's the one they were trying to find like Scud missiles and stuff on top, the, right? Or was that that was Scud missiles were a big deal during um, during gotcha. Desert Shield, and and they were a little bit more with they they were looking for them during the the Iraq War too. Gotcha. But yeah, Scuds were big because they could uh, their their range and they could carry both conventional and nuclear and chemical yeah, uh, yeah. payloads. So. And that's why for Desert Storm, you know, when when they took off and they were going to breach the line, they were all in Mop 3, what we call, you know, Mop 2. They didn't have their masks on yet, but they were, they had chemical suits on, yeah. even in tanks. Everybody had their chem suits on and your mask was ready because you, you just didn't know. Yeah, so, that's kind of, that's what like Jarhead was kind of depicting with the whole... When they get that alarm, then they all get oh, yeah. thrown on Oh, yeah, mask, 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 yeah. And then and you start throwing that on. So, yeah, so so now we're at, at Somalia, and that was the, the next uh, big, or that's the next deployment for me. There's all sorts of other things that are going on for the Army, specifically. Yeah, Panama. Mm-hmm. You, um, earlier than that, you had Grenada. Um, you know, so there's some, those type of kind of um, things that are happening. And then the, and during that time, we went from, we were living, we, in Germany was our first assignment. We came back to the U.S. to go to something called the Advanced Course, um, which is in Fort Gordon for signal officers. And then from there, we went to Fort Huachuca, which is in Arizona. Yeah. And that's when I was in a unit that went to uh, Somalia. Ah, uh, okay. And we also had an... Haiti, there were some things that were happening in Haiti. We went there. Um, sent, we had soldiers all over the place when I was in Fort Huachuca. And then from Fort Huachuca, we went back to Fort Gordon. And that was kind of our, my kind of rest for, the, for that, that, that particular assignment. I didn't deploy anywhere. Huh. Linda deployed. Linda went to the Balkans. Oh, dang. During that time. His so. wife. <laughs> the lady. Yeah. So, and so during that time period, she was, she actually commanded a company and then also as a individual augmentee, which means she's, she's a U.S. rep on a NATO staff and she went to, uh, to Croatia. Oh, So wow. during that time period. And so I was home alone with the kids. Uh, and now during that time, he still wasn't around. Uh, but uh so did you guys go back to because you you came from germany no no yeah yeah but see but and so we we were there we don't have to get into my history i've got a muddy this is this is the next one this is the next one so we're we come we're in in um germany and we're there for four years and we had an opportunity to go to turkey uh, Turk Turk yeah. After you know, too close to a the deli, deli meat. Deli meat and my but, my nationalistic view. Okay, you know about this? No, I, I'm. But let's uh, go ahead. Turkaye? They changed their name. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no. yeah. Okay. But that's how that, that's how um, phonetically they want you to say it. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you read it, that's how you say yeah. it as well. They just they wanted to do it so everyone says it that way as yeah. well. So. 
because if you just spell it in in um, in, in English, English that's yeah. But while we were there, they would call it Turkey. Huh. So so you went. Yeah, we were we we were stationed there, and that's when Sean happened. Shawnee Breezy. And so and during that time period, though, you couldn't um, if you were going to have a child, you had to the mothers um, had to go back to Germany. So that's why Sean they couldn't stay in the motherland. Even though gotcha. we were we were stationed in Turkey at the time, he was actually born in in, in Germany. Germany. Gotcha. So and we were at uh, Linda and I were both um, assigned to a NATO headquarters in Turkey. So that's why mm. we were there, and it was a two year tour, and so we were there for two years. What's your view on Turkey? That oh, middle of the road me, kind of. Don't get me started uh-huh. there. No, I think a lot to Turkey, um, it, Turkey, when we first got there, we didn't know a lot about it, about the country, you gotcha. know, culturally. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we always did is we always try, we, we tried to read about things. Back then, again, although we're starting to get closer to the Internet, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is, we are getting close to the late 90s. But um, there's a book called uh, Scotch and Holy Water. It's about um, a, uh, a man that traveled through Turkey in the 1950s. But what it did, it, it gave a really, and a lot of humorous anecdotes as well, but stories about his experiences traveling Turkey. Huh. And so, and it's, and when we got, and he always called it the land of, of, of not quite right. Shoot. So and but th- at when we got th- so you think of a a a country that well you're thinking they're Islamic yeah well, well they like to play of, that when it the, works. it's it, I, I I think it's they they are secular they especially back when we were there they're much more secular and we we were stationed in Izmir which is a very um, uh, modern city um, very. Even though Istanbul is old, I, I would say that that's a modern as well and secular. Meaning, yeah. there's you know, it's not just religious, uh, all about uh, you know. That is a religious, religious hotspot in the history now, books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, right? But when we got there, so you're you're thinking about those kind of things, going, "Holy cow! Why? What? What was the reason behind this again?" Yeah. Um, but when we got there, we found the the Turkish people, some of the as far the the most um, caring you know people they were courteous kind yeah. I mean it was it was it was a great assignment we and like I said we lived in in Izmir a very big city and um, the the apartment that we lived in we knew that there was always taxis we knew the taxi drivers uh. we had a Turkish um, nanny that that came and took care of the um, Michael and Nicole, who were like nine, ten years old at the time, and then actually Bette took care of Sean oh. and as as an infant. Nice. So, but we and I and we always remember going out like to eat. We could go out to eat. We come downstairs. You put them in the stroller, and we start walking down. Immediately, people. Oh, look at that! They would <laughs> oh, come around. Oh, you're so shy. nice. You're so cute. And oh, I gobble you up. up. <laughs> we, We'd go into a restaurant, and this and your mother will tell the story too. They will, they'll take a, they'll take, Just pick them up, pick them up, kidnap take you, up, walk around, go back to the oh. kid, and they're, they're talking, and we're sitting there eating, going okay. Dang. And uh, but very children in in that in Turkey 
and in that culture, at least what we found, children were everything. Gotcha. And family was everything. That's Very pretty similar. You do that in Chicago, and oh. you wind yeah. up in some sort of. <laughs> Sleep do that in New York. Yeah. You guys were in New York. Go pick up a, a small child and say, hey, oh, I like... No, not going to happen. Parents are probably so brain dead. They're like, okay. <laughs> no, no. In the city of dreams. Anyway, so, but yeah, we we really enjoyed um, Turkey and and that part of it. And during, uh, that's when I am went on my next deployment, which was Kosovo. And that yeah. was a another Balkans type of thing. Yeah. And that was a high stakes that was a uh, kosovo's getting high stakes again yeah these days yep it, it was uh i'm in serbia i tell you what yeah. because yeah the, the balkans heads. right yeah, the balkans yeah. uh, is breaking down your um linda was there at the end of the war so uh-huh. now nato is there they're trying to get what all war? the 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 war in yugoslavia the balkan war giving preface yeah. you guys are just jumping around yeah oh, okay i thought you were yeah the balkan being a ding dong when the Croats okay. And Serbs. There's one thing. No, no, no. There's one thing. I am not when I wear this hat, and you will respect this hat. Is that Whoa. I'm not a ding dong. <laughs> I right. will respect right. the colors. My orange. Charles ding dong. <laughs> so the, uh, but yeah. So 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 Linda was there during the um, the the end of the fighting part. The first the Balkan Balkans, War. Right. The first Balkan War. And well, not the first. They've been fighting well, for yeah, thousands yeah. of years. The more but, modern one. <laughs> why were they fighting? But how they were that weren't uh, on horses, right? As as Yugoslavia, it's at the end of when the when the wall comes down. You had a country called Yugoslavia, but there are different ethnic groups within. Yeah. Uh, and that is where it came from, and then so you have the Serbs and the Croats. Serbians in in that area were primarily Muslim. And the Croats were Christian, no. and then there was other groups that that are in and around there, and so now you have this this fighting between all that, and that's how you get all the different countries down there from Slovenia, Serbia, um, Croatia, Mas- you know those kind of things, Macedonia, yeah, all Albania. that breaks up, Albania, all those things break up, and based yeah. a lot on cultural and religious lines it's been pretty violent ever since then with like yeah, yeah. which is too bad too because it's um when when we were when i was there what was happening is kosovo was part of um bosnia herzegovina mm-hmm. yeah that, that was another big group that was there. <laughs> the, the the bosnians did i get that wrong the bosnians were primarily um muslim I'm gonna have to go back and see. I'm I'm gonna start my memoirs pretty soon, so I better get these things <laughs> right. I think um, they were because their flag is like the zigzaggy one, like Qatar, like Qatar. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that might be an Islam. Thing. Yeah. So the Bosnia. So they were part of that, and they wanted to break off. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so during that time period, um, it was like, from from a NATO perspective or even the U.S. perspective, was going. So yeah. what? Okay, you, you guys will figure it out yourself. And then you're going, so why in the heck were, did you guys, why did NATO go in? And it was going, it, it could have been a spark because within the territory of, of Kosovo, there's all those tensions and things could have risen up and could have sparked another beginning of a civil war. Yeah. And so... Because we were already there and trying to broker, we because NATO was already there and trying to broker peace and keep peace, 
They figured if we go in, we'll, we can kind of nip this in the bud. So that's why NATO decided to go in. There was also a U.S. Um, position uh, of getting into Kosovo um, early and fast because, and I think most of this is declassified. Nice. Let's say a, a country, a very large country, had a had supplies in Kosovo. Yeah, hypothetically. Um, hy- well, yeah, we knew that they had them. Um, <laughs> supplies, I'm yeah. saying. And we knew this country had them. And so the U.S. wanted to go in there and make sure that maybe we should get those supplies yeah. before this other country that's not supposed to be involved gets there. And so there was a lot of tension during that time period. Uh, but anyway, so the U.S., Wants to go there, wants to get in there very quick. Um, there is a, uh, a general called, uh, his name was uh, General Clark, Wesley Clark. Later on, he will run for president as a Democrat. Unsuccessful. He, unsuccessfully. He, um, he was the Supreme Allied Commander Europe. He was, the, he was the commanding general of NATO. Gotcha. As an American, which is, that's part of the. The, the charter that there will always be an American as the Supreme. So anyway, so he well, is pay there. pay for everything. Yeah. The mission comes down to the NATO commander who is a three-star uh, British general. And he is ordered to get down there to Kosovo and a plate in the, in the capital of Kosovo called Pristina. And there is the um, a airport. And he's supposed to get there. They had like a timeline. Well, they disagreed on that timeline. Oh. <laughs> and the there were a lot of different things that were said and published about the relationship between this uh, British general and General Clark. You bloody... <laughs> but yeah. anyway, if you would have seen um, satellite imagery of... of uh, Kosovo and Pristina, you'd see um, about, about just outside of the, the city, there's the airport. And then there's this big mountain. I guess you'd call it a mountain, but it's, it's, a, it's pretty big. And then it comes down and it comes just level flat. It's just flat. So it's, it's a really kind of crazy um, geographical feature. Yeah. Usually it doesn't, you know, you come to this mountain and and, but it comes flat, and then there's the airport. There is, in the imagery, an airfield that runs very close to the, uh, to the mountain and a very big road, paved road, that goes right into the side of the mountain. I wonder what's in there. What the heck's going on <laughs> under the mountain? Maybe the supplies Here, I'm are there. i allowed to say it. Russians. <laughs> Maybe the supplies are there that yeah. this other country wants to uh, make sure. So that's what was one of the big deals there. And almost it could have got really, really, it it, it got touch and go for a while. Yeah. We had, uh, as when, when we were there and, and building up to it, um, and I actually went to Command General Staff College with one of the pilots, an Apache pilot. That, would, that was one of the first U.S. forces on site. 
um, the U NATO forces. What had happened is once they found out that once this country found out that NATO was going to come in, there were daily flights, multiple cargo aircraft flying into Pristina nice. and trucks moving in and out of this the mountain. The, a hole in the mountain. And so the U.S. unilaterally wanted to stop that or find out what the heck that was. Yeah. Well, as part of NATO, you can't do that. So why did they want to stop? Should have paid someone to do it. Well, that's nowadays. That's exactly that's that, that's something that we could is do. that something that Blackwater or the, or whatever Wagner. that Wagner, Wagner group. Yeah. Yeah. Wagner does you a know bit dirtier. I mean? right? Yeah. So, but yeah, that's 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 interesting. That why did they want to stop those? Well, those I I don't things? I don't know the um. It was just the, food, right? The detail, like and... the details. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, it Not makes sense material. if it's a small, from the breakup of the Soviet Union, you have a huge cash there, and it's yours. Oh, yeah. you like, we want that. Why would, I, why would Western powers get involved? Right. I, I can neither confirm, confirm or deny. <laughs> yeah. When we, once, what had happened is this country um, put in a group of soldiers that were very similar to Spetsnaz. Oh, interesting. Battalion. Were they fighting in that Kosovo and those civil wars? They were actually they were actually in different areas, but this particular unit and and um, actually got to go out and see those guys. The um, they were there to provide security um, around this compound as as they were moving stuff in and out. Oh dang! And the U.S. did come in, and there was um, three three different flights of um, uh, Apaches and that came in and got to the airfield um, right about the same time that they did. And uh, the, the story is, and I was in one of the op centers, is that, you know, there was a lot of chatter yeah. going on, as in, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. We should right be shooting here. it or what's the deal, guys? Exactly. And it was... It came down. It the the call came all the way up to the the national command authority. Dang. It went all the way up to NATO. Uh, the country said absolutely not. Yeah. And finally, the U.S. said no. This is again. Why, it's not. It's not U.S. property. Let the boys cook. But again, yeah. Why would they? Why Why did they care so much that that I, was there? I think at the time it was just a matter of haha. We got you. We yeah. caught you. Sick. Almost okay. caused a World War Three. Exactly. Uh, That's what geopolitics uh, well, is. Right. I mean, it's, it's just it's, weird that I don't understand their defense. The, the other, that. the other part was is that even though there was some sort of um, intelligence that the this ground convoy that was going to come and secure the area, we you know they were securing their own things. There was a uh, a worry that did any of that get out before uh, that happened. Well, then again, were they who, selling it or giving it? Exactly. Yeah. And who but, was coming to get it? What were they going to do with it? Yeah. You know, because during but, this time, the Middle East was still kind of oh, in it, turmoil. So it's every like, place, every place is, was in turmoil and yeah. still is. But see, NATO is doing, or at least the U.S. is doing similar things with arming their yeah. side. But we're oh, yeah. the good guys. And I guess. Well, I from, guess. Uh, yeah. well, no, from, but no it's just from like a basic, like it would make sense but, that there's like a huge cash where the yeah. Soviet Union used to be and if they do sell to or for they're not right. like like during the serve that civil war kind of almost right. like 
there's still sides being drawn. Like everybody right. is like arming. I, but others. you can, I, I think you, you can even go back to like the, the, when the, the Soviet Union goes down. Yeah. One of the first things that, that in the U.S. and NATO is worried about is, okay, this is all breaking up. All these countries are, gonna, are starting to, to, to break up and kind of um, go their own way. It, it didn't happen overnight. Right? Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. But things are going, oh, the indicators are this way and that way. The military, for example, if you go to East Germany, the majority of the troops that were Soviet bloc are East Germans. Mm -hmm. They're, They're German, not yeah. necessarily Russians. There are Russians there. Yeah. There are Russian units there. But now you're getting these calls for nationalism. They want to be Germany again. Yeah. You go mm -hmm. to Yugoslavia. They want to be Yugoslavia. You go to Poland. They want to be. So you have that happening all over the place. And a bulk of the military that's in those areas they're polish yeah. they're bulgarian mm -hmm. they're german they're so there's a going okay what happens if they get their hands on this thing or that thing yeah you know what i mean and primarily we're talking nuclear yeah. chemical weapons mbc weapons so um so that's the that's the the real worry and what is what is the at least it's like be careful for what you wish for when you broke down the soviet union you had an enemy that you kind of knew yeah. And you were playing with detente and you kind of knew how the game was being played. And there was, you know, you had from the act actual wartime thought process of mad, uh, mutually Mutual assured destruction. destruction. Yeah. And that was kind of the deterrent yeah. to, to now, like, we have no idea. Yeah, you got 12 you have different no, guys right. you got to track. You know, it's, it's kind of like when... But is, the, is it NATO's role to get involved in any of those falling mm -hmm. states because during when the soviet union collapsed they agreed that nato wouldn't go and get involved with any of these other places absolutely true yeah it, it was so it is not it is not the put your tinfoil hat on was it there it wasn't nato who that that wanted to do this because you have to you have to understand the what is the concept and what why do we have nato it is it is a political um alliance it is a political alliance with a military arm yeah. when you usually think of an alliance most of them are political yeah but but they're political oh, but yeah. then there's an economic side right yeah this and then there are some that we have but there is no real structured military nato is one of the one of those big one of those that have a structured combined military command and control it's a giant's giant defense right yeah. and so that's Packed. the big part of it and yeah. so it is it, it is a political um alliance for defense and you think like the eu that is a political alliance yeah. economic yeah 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 so but see from eastern europe standpoint it's not defense that they have that they go into these places to yes like there's a bunch of chaos like you said there's right. like we have no you have no idea what's in the region who's being armed and it's especially Europeans are probably like, hey, I don't want my neighbor to be like super duper like chaotic. And so from that standpoint, right. it's a great it, that, it that a, needs to find. Like, right. Peace. It is. It is in the best interest of not only NATO, but all the nations, you know, in Europe that there is stability. Yeah. And so that you'll always when, when you when you hear and read about um, different things, especially from a geopolitical standpoint, and um, you, you'll hear about stability, stability. And so you want that. But now you have all these countries that 
are, are starting to look for their independence. You have Russia that supposedly owns all this stuff. How are they controlling it? How are they pulling it back? How, how are they yeah. uh, keeping that? And so that was, that's post um, the Soviet Union, one of the biggest things intelligence-wise, I can't say that because I don't know, but it is a concern for the military. Where are all these weapons? Yeah. You know, so for, again, so, and now to add a little bit more complexity to that, so the U.S., Great Britain, you know, back then West Germany, um, you know, they are in there going, this is a defensive alliance, da-da-da-da. Now take that hat off, just like um, like when the I was telling you the Supreme Allied Commander, <laughs> yeah. he has a NATO hat, he's the Supreme Allied Commander of all NATO forces. Yeah. Now he takes that off. Now I am a U.S. general. I command all U.S. forces yeah. in the European theater. And I answer to the President of the United States, not the Secretary General of, of NATO. NATO yeah. Now that same person now is responsible for, and he is being told, you need to go over there yeah. and find out what the hell's going on. Yeah. So now, so you put uh, a general or put people in that type of, of position going. So when I talk to NATO, I need you guys, you know, yep, it's defensive. Everything's good. Things like that. I'm going to go out of this meeting. Now I'm into the U.S. What the hell is going on? I need troops over there. I yeah. need intelligence. You need to do this, you know. So it is. But that's the complexity of 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 that and and I guess what I was trying to get at is that each nation now has an individual um, uh, reason and motivation to find out what's going on there for their stability yeah. and in that region. So they're going to use their military, their you know all the different things that they have to find out. I got an answer to your question for what the first one that started all this. What was why we were why we were there checking out this hill? Yeah, yeah. It was probably also like a stance thing. Not just like looking at the hill. Apparently like it's having an operation going on. Like it was like, not aggressive, but it was like we were ready. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd assume it was like a, a stance because if something happened and say like the week after some random chemical attack happened in in uh, England or something. Yeah, or in and how do you trace it? Yeah, and we were like, oh, well, it's some, some dude is like, oh, actually we saw these shipments coming out yeah. of this mountain. That's not a good place to be. It's better to be in like a. We got three helicopters looking at well, these guys. Well, we had when you think about anything, sense. anything that happens in, uh, especially um, you hear it a lot with the Navy, the standoffs and confrontations yeah. that they have with different ships in the in the um, Gulf yeah, of Arabia and things like that. Aircraft. Yeah. You know. Uh, close, yeah. close, close call. <laughs> yeah. Encounters, China you know? just did that. Those, Shout out China. Yeah. China. And and in the Pacific, especially with. Uh, around Taiwan in the Straits, this is Chinese waters. Yeah. And no, it's international waters. Okay. Well, we have two aircraft carriers there. How many yeah. do you have? You know, that type yeah, of thing. You sons so there of bitches. Is, you really want to that go? Is, that is posturing. You know how much money it takes to put a nuclear <laughs> fusion reactor on a goddamn boat <laughs> and make it float? I think, you I think bitch. they know. I think they know. Yeah. But anyway, they so don't yeah, have there many. is posturing. Yeah. There, there absolutely is posturing and making sure that they know that people know that the the region knows that the the different um, powers that be understand yeah. that we can do this. The big dogs are here. That, Let's like not when, freak out. Right. So when they do that shooting drill. They the Chinese. I think this summer 
the they had a piece of their navy go by that strait and shoot like it was like a hundred two hundred two hundred like kilometers off of the uh, off of Taiwan, but they shot close to them and there was they launched like a couple hundred rounds like right. just to yeah. test fire and stuff. But so if we're, now we'll go back to to Kosovo, yeah. Kosovo. So they're they're up there, and so it it so it gets called off, you know, back off. So they they take it, and that Russian battalion. Um, we got there a few months later. Is still there. Um, I was part of the uh, the NATO headquarters in in uh, Kosovo, and this is while we were in Turkey. So, oh. um, so while we were stationed in Turkey. So yeah. I think it's 1998, 99. So Dang. right before 9/11. Yeah. So that and that's where that was that was the the next de- deployment for me, and so that. Again, entirely different than from my end of Desert Shield, Desert Storm, big conventional thing. Yeah. Sitting in Africa, hot place, Somalia, I, you know, and everything that happened there. Now to a NATO type of deployment. And what NATO did is they cut up um, uh, Kosovo into regions. The U.S. had a region. Uh, France had a region. Uh, Germany had a region. And Italy had a region. Did so you have uh, counterparts from each? Did you like have to have briefings with each counterpart from all those yeah, different sections? Right. Well, for for that, so there was something called K four uh, Kosovo Forces, okay. and it had a NATO headquarters, uh-huh. and so the and then each one of these areas had a U.S. brigade or not a U.S. a brigade, so a French brigade, yeah. foreign foreign legion, nice, um, big a boys, German, yeah, yeah, German brigade, an Italian brigade, and a U.S. brigade. And um, with their own areas and in their area, they were there to help, you know, maintain stability, yeah. um, secure and stable environment. That was, you know, and so you have to understand what the mission was. We didn't want any fighting happening. Yeah. While you're there, you kind of you understand that. And there are there were two there were two or three different areas of distinct ethnic groups so you had Albanians who were Muslim, okay, in certain areas, and then you had more of the um, Serbs that were Christian in certain areas. And before all this, you know, if you read some of the books, I've got a couple of books. One of the books I read before going there was called Balkan Ghosts, and it talks about that region. And again, I mean, this is this is in between you know, the Ottoman Empire, yeah. Europe, and Russia, th- that area in there, they had all sorts of people going through there. So, and then now you introduce a, a, a religion to it, that even makes it, you know, even Tentons. more intense. Yeah. And so that's how the Kosovo was kind of uh, broken up. And, and in each area, it was very distinct. And even while we were there, we had a few incidences um, there was a, a city in the north called Mitrovica, and there was on the north side was the um, the Serbs, and in the southern part in in the prime of the city, and it's um, split by a river, and I can't remember what the river was called. There's two bridges, and these guys would shoot at each other every thing. <laughs> okay, they didn't like each other. So, and even while I was there, you know, this is. So there was, and it wasn't like, 
intense. Every night, you know, yeah. two couple, They'd three shots. Right. And, but the bridges that would connect them, they covered with concertina wire, the barriers and things like that. And people would go because they lived over here and worked over there. Mm-hmm. And then it, it was just, it, it's almost like that Berlin Wall in, in miniature yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And it was, it was kind of silly when you really look at it. But you had people that, you know, two, three years earlier, they, they got through the, the, the Civil War living together and, and because that area, I guess, was, was relatively peaceful. Uh. To now accelerate through time, you know, go jump ahead in time. Now, they're, now they hate each other. And so you're going, how in the, how in the world did that happen? And we saw uh, um, farmhouses, small communities burnt out. Uh, mosques burnt out, yeah. churches burnt out, um, and it was bad. We in one area where there was a multinational, they had uh, or um, battalion, primarily of like uh, Norwegians and Swedes. They they were clearing mines, and so I went up to one of my jobs. My my main job while I was there, I was supposed to uh, uh, um, engineer and, and help put in a, um, a radio single channel secure network. And we had to put towers up in one of these areas. And so we went out there, and I got to see where the, um, the Serbs laid a minefield. Dang. It's the first time I'd ever seen a mine in, like, set up for combat. Like, I'm going to kill you with this. Yeah. I, I, we'd, we'd had of them with training and things yeah, like nice. that yeah. and knew that they were out there. But this is the first time I'd ever actually seen one. And they came out, yeah, yeah, come on, let, let me show you. I'm going, what? Dang. No, I don't want to see that. So anyway, they have all, they, they, they tape everything off. Everything is flagged and, and things. So they're, they're safe. So you come up and you can see this minefield of like little three thing prongs, little butterflies Ooh. here. And those are the types of things that are out there. That make you this sweat was, a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's pucker factor <laughs> when you're, when you go up there. It's squeaky bum time. Yeah. You know, squeaky to, bum time. To hell with being um, ahead one zero and a man down with uh, a minute left to go in a, in a soccer <laughs> match. Squeaky bum time is you well, need to walk from here. Being one I, I've down never, I have man not received, down and uh, one I, minute I, left. I have not. So I, I, I take that back. I take that back. Um, but squeaky bum time is when you can see a minefield and, and know that what, what's out there. So. Um, but yeah, so that, that that was the kind of stuff that was happening. Um, luckily, fortunately, not luckily, it was fortunate, and a lot of hard work from a lot of people. That, you know that that um, that didn't happen. Yeah. And I think we still have. It's called Camp Bondsteel. Is the U.S. Um, uh, compound that's in Kosovo. Huh. Um, what was that for Kosovo? Stone.